this past week that I discovered that Americans say that their biggest waste of time is watching the television and finding the right program to watch. But we've upped it because we're a nation that overindulges ourselves. Not only do we now watch TV and find the perfect thing to watch, but as soon as we find the perfect show to watch, we immediately pick up our iPhone or our tablet and we go to it and we troll around to see what's on social media sites. We just use the TV seat as background noise while we go and do something else. I found myself caught up in this this past week. And wouldn't you know it, it was before I read this article that had me remind of what just took place the night before. Found the right TV show to watch. You know, we have a total of 10 channels to search through now that we've cut the cord from cable. And after spending about 15 minutes just finding the appropriate show, I immediately went to my smartphone and took a look at what was going on on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter and see just the latest happenings. And I just thought it was so funny because in our living room, at the focal point of our living room, every chair in the living room points to our 50-inch plasma screen TV. And yet here I am squinting at my 4-inch iPhone screen. So my kids come running in and they say, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching TV. They say, then why are you looking at your phone? Oh, the wisdom of children. The wisdom of children. And I wanted to say, I guess because I'm wasting my time is what I'm doing. You know, I've had that time spent finding the right TV show so that it would become background noise for me to look over things that weren't really meaningful to me in life, checking the news or looking at the weather. And I saw that stuff and said, wow. I could, I could do a lot better with the time that God's given me here on earth. Maybe you have moments like that in your own life as well. Moments of clarity where you just kind of wake up, pull your head out of the sand, and you realize, wow, am I spending my time the best way that I possibly can? Is this constructive for me as a spiritually minded person? In the book of Job, Job has this moment of clarity because life has crumbled down around him, and he sits on Literally, the dung heap of life, his life is ruined, and he looks up to God and he says, God, man's days are numbered. That was his reality moment of, I better get my act together because I only have so much time here on this earth. And my, my, my life came that close to being lost. Everything around me is gone, and my life came that close to being lost. And now, Lord, I want to make the most of my days. The Apostle Paul said it with great clarity. He was able to come through and speak volumes when he was able to say, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's Paul's teaching to say, we don't have much time here, so let's start thinking about the eternal and let's stop thinking just about the temporal. Let's let the eternal rest inside the temporal if, that is, if that's possible. But I know, I know how we react as people. It takes like um, a problem diagnosis from a doctor for us to have kind of a life-changing event. Or it takes the death of a loved one for us to have these moments of clarity that we need to prioritize ourselves and our life and get serious, at least more serious than we were about our Christian journey and the commitments we're making to Christ. In the second chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we, we read this last week, it tells us how devoted the early church was to, to God and how they showed their devotion to God. And so here's what it says. 
the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I'm not an apostle. I'm just Matt, but that's what you're doing now. And to the fellowship, that's what we get to do when we meet together early before service, in between services, or Bible fellowship groups, small groups, and other events. The breaking of bread, that's communion. We'll do that here in just a moment. And into prayer, those moments of times that we have prayer together corporately and in solitude. That's how they devoted themselves. That word devotion is a word that means to adhere to. They adhered to the apostles' teaching. They adhered to those things. It was like super glue to them. They weren't going to break away from those. Those were, those were what we call principles of their meeting together. They didn't just get baptized, rejoice in their baptism, and just celebrate the baptism and then walk away. They were baptized, rejoiced in their baptism, and then became eager to learn about the God that had rescued and saved them. Now last week, you made some commitments to the Lord that just wowed me. Wonderful commitments to make this time, this hour, more meaningful to you. And some of you took the post-it notes that were on the sermon notes section in the chair rack, and you went around the room and you put some sticky notes on some areas that were all around, and it forms this beautiful picture. Now some of you don't see it so well. That's the face of Jesus. And we said that when we all pull ourselves together and we make this time more meaningful, the focal point of our worship becomes a great picture of what we're called to do and to worship. And that is, we're called to be like Christ and we're called to worship Jesus Christ. And the staff went around the room this past week and we prayed over those things and we were just blown away because you understood the exact things that keep you from making this moment more meaningful. And all the illustrations and examples that I set before you, you knew exactly what they were. So many of you just wrote down things were, that were just unbelievably serious to your life about preparation and being on time and, and opening up God's word as we study together and to let your mouths move as we worship and sing God's praises. Last Sunday, you made a conscious decision to take a step of devotion in the right direction. And this, and this morning, I'm asking us to do the same thing. To continue the the fervency of your commitment that you made to worship, and I'm asking you now to take one more small step when it comes to committing ourselves to spiritual growth, particularly in two areas. Our Bible reading, spending time in God's Word, and the devotion to prayer like the early church. Let's look first at how we can commit ourselves to more time in God's Word. Jesus told us that the sky and the earth won't last forever. But Jesus said, my words will last forever. Now that means everything one day is going to dissipate, but the only thing that's going to remain are the teachings of Jesus. Those are the only things that are going to remain consistent forever. Now this book contains the words of Jesus. It expresses how God has worked through human history to restore the relationship with people like you and me. This book has been attacked. This book has been burned. It's been criticized. It's been banned. Men and governments have tried to wipe out this book. It was the French writer Voltaire that said, In 100 years, the Bible and Christianity be, will be swept out into existence and will just pass into history. You know, the tradition of that story is that 50 years later, after Voltaire said that, Christians went and bought the printing press in his home to reproduce more Bibles. This is a powerful book. Billions of lives have been transformed because of what is written in the pages of this book. 
Lives have been challenged to be changed. This book is a dangerous book because this book is dangerous because when we read it, it has the power to change you. It gives you a new direction for life. It gives you a new meaning and purpose for how you live your days. David said to God about this book that your word is a lamp for my feet and it's a light to my path. By your word, Lord, it shines light onto this darkened, dangerous path that I'm traveling called life. Talking as a guy, I can't imagine a single day. I can't imagine a single day without having the wisdom and the guidance and the strength and the conviction that this book brings to me. The New Testament, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says these words. It says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, this is verse 23, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the, the flowers fade, First Peter 1, verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and, and of all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slandering of every kind. Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation and now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you haven't been a Christian very long, if you're a young Christian, the Bible, I think, should be nourishment like babies crave new more milk. It should be the milk of your spiritual nourishment. This is a healthy baby is inclined to want its mother's milk. I think growing Christians, we should be drawn to thirsting for the milk of God's word. If you're born into God's family, I think you naturally crave some more spiritual nourishment. When you're born again, you want to understand more about what you've been born into. You want to feed on something. Jesus said, blessed is the man that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they will be filled. And when you study and you digest this book, it feeds your soul. It gives you strength for the day. It develops you spiritual muscles. It enlightens your mind. It's the primary source of spiritual growth, this book right here. You've seen the pictures of, the somber pictures of those babies that are starving maybe in a third world country from malnutrition their faces are sunken in their bellies are extended and you'd think that those starving kids would just be so hungry but you know when relief workers go in i've read when they go in to help those that are malnutrition that they have to force feed those infants because because they have no appetite anymore and so they give them small sips of milk or they give them small morsels of food and they force feed those children so that they regain their appetite again. Friends, having no appetite is a sign of a serious illness or sickness. And there's some undernourished Christians, I think, that just don't have an appetite anymore for God's word. They haven't fed on it in so long and because of that, they no longer see the need or the appetite for it. And I want to tell you, you can't be force fed at church. We can only create a thirst for God's word. 
But friends, it's this book that brings to you the nourishment for spiritual survival. Just like 1 Peter 2, 3 said, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that in it you may grow up in your salvation. So the Bible is nourishment like milk is nourishment for a young baby. But the Bible is also meat for those that are mature. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, and in there it says, in verse 12 of chapter 5 of Hebrews, in fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. So there is this plea by the writer of Hebrews to say, we should be really growing up in our faith here. We shouldn't just be stuck on milk or paused on puberty. We should be growing up in maturity. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, Hebrews 5. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to, di di to distinguish good from evil. If you've been a Christian for a long time now, you know that you need to grow up from the milk to the meat of maturity of the Bible. And that's what's going on. God is, is admonishing those Christians to say, let's get strong in the faith. Let's just not crave the simple truths of the faith any longer. Let's dig into the Word of God and let's eat some meat together. After all, wouldn't you think it'd be kind of strange if a 10-year-old came to the table and said, I just, want, I just want some breast milk and some Gerber baby food. That's not normal. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to imply is that's not normal for Christians just to be stuck on the elementary truths as they grow up in the Lord. They ought to move from the milk to the meat. Friends, the Bible is more than just a religious, a religious book. This is something that we can chew on. This helps to whetten our spiritual appetite and it allows our bodies and our soul to not just crave the words of these pages, but to crave a more intimate relationship with the one whom these pages are about. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that dwells within us. Friends, it's in this book, as you grow and mature, that you find out that it's not just about salvation, that there's so much wisdom found in this book. Like wisdom, like, how do I treat those that are hard to forgive this book has the answers. How do I love those that don't seem to want to love me back? This book has the answers. How do I overcome addiction in my life? This book has the answers. How do I change my attitude from negative to positive or from being angered to now being soft? This book gives us the answers. How do I know what God's will is for my life? <laughs> it's in the book. How do I develop holiness for my life? found in this book how do i prepare for the lord's Im imminent return it's it's in the book and this bible becomes so much more than a religious book this bible becomes a relationship book how do i strengthen the relationship with this god that saved me and has worked through history and shown me his love and has brought me to this point and has redeemed me What's it going to be like when this world has all ended? It's in the book. Why would God die for someone such as me? I've messed things up. It's, it's in the book. And Jesus said about this book, crave it. 
For man cannot live on bread alone, Jesus said, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's my challenge to you today. My challenge is to take one step to a new level when it comes to reading God's word and applying it to your life. Now here's how simple this can be. This could just be taking advantage of the opportunities that are afforded to you every single Sunday. On your communication card, there is a next steps box, and on it, it gives you a a chapter to read and maybe a verse to memorize if you choose. And some of us, we just, we don't take advantage of it, but yet maybe that could kickstart your reading habit again or get you back into devotional because every week something's sent out to remind you about that reading. And then just a little bit of information about what's being said and why it's being said. Maybe for you, you're someone that just says, I want to read a chapter every day and up your level of commitment. Maybe for you, you say, I want to read a book. I just want to start on a book, like a gospel or one of Paul's letters and just begin to read through it. Not, not a chapter a day, but just systematically read through it. I might miss a day or two, but that's, I just want to commit to it, to reading one book out of the New Testament. You know what I think would be appropriate? I think it'd be appropriate if you're a Christian and you don't ever read God's word throughout the day that you give God 30 seconds. Just read a verse or two. Download an app onto your phone to get the verse of the day. And just take that in for a moment. Just read it just for a second. Some of you say, I don't have any time to read the Bible. I love Vicki Morello's line to our students. You don't have any time? What do you do about twice a day? You go to the restroom, don't you? And all the kids say, that's gross, Vicki, that's gross. He says, she says, what do you think, when you shut the door, God can't see you anymore? We all have time of the day just to take in a little bit of Scripture. And I would think for someone that never reads Scripture, 30 seconds is a pretty good step that just might lead to more devotion to Christ and creating you a healthy habit as we learn this needed spiritual discipline, don't you? Well, let's focus on another step we can take in deepening our relationship with the Lord. Not only is it found in reading God's Word, but also in the time that we take to pray to God, just to talk to God and thank God for some things. Friends, prayer isn't a memorized formality. My kids at one time at the table said, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. They, I taught them that, but I don't like that they say it. I, I know that prayer isn't fingering beads. That's not what prayer is. Prayer isn't even repeating the Lord's Prayer over and over again to the point that we don't recognize even what we're saying. Prayer is a genuine expression to God. It's a genuine expression to God about having a personal connection and conversation with our Heavenly Father. And we read that the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. I know there were times where they prayed in large groups like we have here, and someone led the prayer, and others said amen to it as they were praying along with them. There are times, I'm sure, where they met in smaller groups like we do and they joined hands and prayer got a little bit more intimate and they shared requests and they prayed. But there were definite times when they went away from those groups and went into solitude and prayed by themselves as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death. And that's my challenge to you today. It's to find a time of solitude to pray. A time that you can carve out, maybe just a few seconds, maybe, maybe a minute. For some of you, you, you just increased it to like a half hour of time praying. I, that's not me. That's not who I am. 
I find it very difficult sometimes to pray. I, I have this eagerness to do it, but I have to force myself down to my knees sometimes to take the time to pray. And Jesus said, but when you pray, you go into your room, you close the door and pray to your heavenly Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what in, is done in secret will reward you. That's what I want to convince you of today. That, that when we pray, it, it works. God is listening. It may not have the answer that you hope for, but God's going to reward genuine prayer. He's going to listen. There are so many biblical examples of prayers changing things. So many biblical examples of God listening and, and answering the prayers of His people. I want to look at one, Exodus chapter 32. It's kind of an obscure one, but I think it's worth pointing out. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And the people, they are camping at the base of that mountain. And they're growing impatient because Moses, their leader, had been up there for almost a month now. So they wait on Moses, but he doesn't come back. And so they get upset by it. And they say to his brother Aaron, we don't think Moses is coming back down the mountain. So would you... Would you form for us a new God? We want to worship a new God. We want to worship a God like, like the Egyptians used to worship. The, the ones that used to have mastery over us. They seem to have a pretty good time with their gods. We want a God like that. So they take some of their finest jewelry, they melt it down, turn it into molten gold, and they pour a new image to a God they begin to worship, a golden calf. This golden calf is worshipped, and they're having a big hedonistic party down below, and the Lord becomes very displeased by what his children are doing. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? God has just delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians of almost 400 years of slavery. He's marched them through the Red Sea, miraculously saving their lives from impending doom. And instead of worshipping him, They've turned their back on him, and the Bible says he became displeased by their behavior. Exodus chapter 32, let's look at verse 9 and 10. It reads, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make them into a great nation. You see what God wants to do? He's saying, Moses... I can work with you. You're workable. I'll work with the workable. But I can't work with these people down below. They, just in a month's time, saw my mighty hand, but now have turned their back on me. So God says, I'm going to destroy every single person down there that's worshiping this golden calf. And Moses, he's, he's desperate as a leader. And he begins to pray to God, and he asks God on the people's behalf these things. Verse 11, Exodus 32. Let's look at the second half of verse 11. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He's asking God some questions. Why should the Egyptians say it was the evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your fierce anger. Relent and don't bring disaster on your people. Verse 13. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. To whom you swore by your own self, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give your descendants all the land I have promised them, and it'll be their inheritance forever. Look at verse 14. Significant. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. 
This is a real challenging passage of Scripture for those that believe that God has predestined everything that happens on earth. And I'll readily admit, I don't know how to reconcile what God's foreknowledge is and man's free will. But I do know this. The Lord relented from what he wanted to do. The New Living or the New International Version reads, God relented. The King James Version reads, God repented. Now that's interesting. The New Living Version says, God changed his mind. Why did God change his mind? All because of the result of Moses interceding on behalf of the people. Because Moses prayed. One thing seems clear to me. God doesn't have everything about this world pre-programmed. We can alter the plan of God through our prayers. That's what Exodus 32 is teaching us, that the sovereignty of God is not meaning that God rules over us as though we're helpless puppets and we are predestined to do every single thing that we do. What this scripture tells us is the Bible, the Bible's teaching us is that God changed his mind because Moses had a 30-second prayer and it changed the history of of Israel forever. 30 seconds of praying changed the history of Israel forever. Don't you wonder what 30 seconds of prayer could do in your life? God is attuned to the words of his people. And he's saying, I want them destroyed. And Moses says, no, 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 not, not quite destroyed. And God says, you know what, Moses, maybe you're right. I'll give you this chance. Seems to me that some things are predestined for life and other events can be dramatically changed because of our prayers. So here's my challenge to you. Knowing that story, don't you want to carve out some time in your day to pray? Maybe this is not normal for you to find some you know, solitude in finding a place where you can just rest for a moment and just pray to the Lord, but Maybe it's a step of praying before your meal. It's, it's not something you ever do. You've, you've never prayed before your meals. There gives you three opportunities. Maybe for you, it's just a reminder before your feet hit the floor, God, I need your help today. I need you in my life, and thank you for the salvation of Jesus. Maybe it's a prayer before the lights go out and you're head hits the pillow it might just be asking god for some help as you meet with a difficult client or some nerves to be lessened and anxiety to be dropped as you walk into an important business meeting maybe you're driving down the car in the car and you just have some time it's just to turn off the radio and to pray with your eyes open and thank god through some things and I know what some of you say from time to time, and, and for sometimes I think it's a cop-out, and other times I think there's some genuineness to it. But I don't know how to pray. You know, the disciples of Jesus came to him, and they were with Jesus for a long time. They witnessed him praying, and they came to him finally and said, we, we see that there's power in this, but we just don't know how to do it. Jesus, teach us to pray. Do you remember how Jesus responded? He responded with what we call the Lord's Prayer today. We've titled it the Lord's Prayer, and this is the prayer. Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Let's pray it out loud. Let's make this a prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I know some of you wanted to continue. And you wanted to add more to it. But Jesus never taught that part. Jesus said, this is, this is the contents that you should have in your prayer. Not that this should just become your prayer, memorized, recited, and just this becomes it, and you no longer think about it. Your prayer should be something like this. They should have these kinds of things within it. And you're saying, what kinds of things? I think the best way to understand the key elements that should be in our, our prayers is through a simple acronym called ACTS. A-C-T-S. ACTS. To help remind us the four key elements that should be in our prayer life. Acts. Our prayers should be that of adoration to God. There should be praise. Our prayers should have confession to God. God, we failed you. We want to do better. Our prayers should have thanksgiving to them. Thank you, Father, for what you've done and what you're doing. They should have supplication. That means God Here's what I need. Here's what I desire. Here's what I want. Here are my hopes. Here's my anxieties. Here's my problems. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Our prayers should include those four elements, important elements. I just want to take some time right now. I want to take some time so that today you might begin to develop this great spiritual discipline prayer. Would you bow with me and then I'm going to ask you to pray prayers of adoration, whatever that means to you. Prayers of adoration. Tell God how much you appreciate Him. Express your love for Him. I don't think you can ever run out of praise. from adoration, praising his name, to confession? Tell God where you've fallen short. I think it's good to be specific. time to confess, but we need to move on to Thanksgiving. You have plenty of reasons to be thankful to God. Thank Him for His love, His faithfulness, His patience. There are so many things in your life, I'm sure, to give God thanks for. Would you pray a prayer of Thanksgiving now? supplication scripture tells us don't be anxious about anything but in every situation in prayer and petition and with thanksgiving present your requests to God what are you anxious about what's weighing on your heart or your conscience tell the Lord about it he wants to hear it 
Nothing is too small for the Lord to listen to. Family, friends, events, things that make you anxious. amen means so be it Lord you've heard my request so be it I have emptied out my heart on you uh, so be it so be it has some things to do from would you listen Lord so be it these are my petitions to Father I may not get everything I've requested <laughs> so be it not my will but yours be done You know, there's one prayer that I would love everybody in this room to make, and that is a prayer of confession and a prayer to ask Jesus Christ into their life. Maybe that's something you've never considered. You believe in Jesus, but you just haven't considered him making him Savior of your life or Lord of your life. I'd love to meet with you in just a moment. As we have a time to respond and to give our hearts to Christ and to worship his name. Maybe you want to get out of your seat and make a move towards Jesus. And your next step's not Bible reading. Your next step is not spending time in prayer. Your next step's to be baptized into Christ and experience his death, burial, and resurrection. And become a new creation. I hope for you today that you use this moment knowing that we don't have much time to get that we recognize that today is the day of salvation.